This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guests for this episode are Christine Mendoza and George Nelson. Christine is a 2019 state finalist for the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching, and she's also the 2019 ASTA Middle School Science Teacher of the Year. Christy, as she likes to be called, has 17 years of classroom teaching experience and is currently a middle school science teacher for the Liberty Elementary School District in Buckeye, Arizona. She's a modeling workshop leader for the American Modeling Teachers Association and has led workshops for the Maricopa County Education Service Agency, the Arizona Science Teachers Association, and STEM Teachers of Phoenix. George Nelson has been teaching middle school science for 11 years and is currently teaching 7th grade science in Willamette, Illinois. George became acquainted with modeling instruction from the third Masters of Natural Science program at Arizona State University under the leadership of Colleen McGowan Romanowitz. George also attended the Chemistry One and Mechanics workshops in the summer of 2014. Using modeling instruction in his classroom for seven years now, George takes pride in the fact that his students learn science by doing science. George has served as a middle school workshop facilitator for the last five summers and is working to help develop resource materials that will support middle school and elementary teachers in implementing modeling instruction at the lower grade levels. Here's my interview with Christy and George. So, Christy and George, we're in the middle of a very odd and uh, difficult time with the COVID virus going around. And I know it's impacting teachers, schools, the students very deeply. Can you share a little bit about how you're dealing with it? Let's start with you, Christy. What are you doing in your world and what are the limitations you have and what, or freedoms and how are you kind of handling this whole thing? Well, um, right now we're kind of taking it day by day. Um, we, our school uses um, Google. And so we are um, transitioning to kind of using Google Classroom online. When this all first started happening, we were originally closed for three weeks. Um, the governor came out and closed the schools for an additional week. So as of right now, we're closed until April 10th. But that's all still kind of up in the air, too. Um, so our first week was just kind of spent... Uh, bringing all of our teachers up to speed on using Google Classroom because um, we're one-to-one -one in our middle school, but in our primary grades, K-5, um, they share Chromebooks and those kinds of things. And so not all the teachers were prepared to use that. And so we've kind of spent that first week. Um, we have been asked to kind of close down our individual Google Classrooms. And we've created one grade level classroom for the whole grade level at each school. The reason behind that was just to kind of simplify things for parents. We're really trying not to overwhelm our parents right now. And so rather than having seven different teachers and that kind of thing, they wanted it to condense down into just one area. And so that's the shared Google Classroom that's actually going live tomorrow. 
And so we've been working through how to do this um, because we have quite a few constraints. Although there's all kinds of online resources and things, we have to abide by FAPE, the free access to public education. And so we have to make sure that what we are providing meets the needs of all of our students. And we have a lot of students who do not have devices at home, who do not have access to internet. And so trying to make sure that what we're doing is equitable And so at this point in time, everything that we are providing right now is just supplemental. It's not being taken for a grade. We're not extending any new learning at this point in time. It's just a review of concepts that we've already taught. So that's kind of how we're handling it right now. We're still waiting, I think, for more information from the state. As of right now, our state testing has not been waived. And so we still have a lot of questions about, well, will we still have to test when we come back? Will we have to make up these days? Because those decisions have not been made yet. How are you personally doing and dealing with it? I know it's nerve wracking as a teacher who cares. (laughs) How are you dealing with it? I think we're doing okay. Um, It was challenging at first trying to think about, okay, what can I give my students that doesn't involve a bunch of technology, that doesn't involve a bunch of materials, right? And especially in science, right? We're we're used to teaching hands-on and having all kinds of materials. So our actual middle school science department got together. There's only nine teachers in that group. And we got together and we decided to focus on science and engineering practices. And so we've created a choice board that our students can choose from. And so we have things that like there's 10 options. They just have to pick one each day. And so some of them do involve technology, but others like there might be one that's like classification. And so it'll say something like design a classification system for your closet, go ahead and organize your closet by that classification system. And, you know, if you have access, take a picture of it and they can submit it or they can discuss in writing what their classification system was. So um, we've been working on some of those types of things, providing argument from evidence. So we give them like a topic, like should all cars have speed limiters on them? And then they have to provide an argument with some rationale and some evidence. We're just kind of working through those kind of things. Yeah. It's really interesting to me that every state seems to have a different set of parameters that teachers have to abide by. And so I'm curious about, you're in Arizona. Correct. Yeah. And George, you're in Illinois, right? That is correct. Yep. And tell me about how it's going for you in your setting, in your personal situation. Uh, Yeah. On uh, March 13th at the uh, last class period, my uh, principal went on the uh, intercom and said that we're going to be closing down for unseen time. Friday was a teacher work day. I worked from home. And we then all of last week, we've been doing e-learning, which is just online learning. I'm currently yeah. on spring break. And I think right now e-learning is at least going till April 13th at this point right now. So we're still waiting for future guidance. It was uh, it all came up very abruptly. I could tell we were prepping our white. It was my last hour class and we were prepping our whiteboard for the whiteboard discussion the following day. And uh, I don't know if those whiteboards are going to be postponed till uh, further notice. So, wow. 
My wife is in a very fortunate situation that her school was already pretty tooled up for online learning. She teaches at a university preparatory high school in California, and they have a lot of technology in place. As a matter of fact, they've got all the laptops to give loan out to the kids, and she's teaching full-time right now on a normal class schedule online. And so it's very fortunate, and it's crazy how every different circumstance is there's no standard across the U.S. right now. So what is your state telling you? I know Governor Pritzker said that we're closed till at least April 13th, I believe. So we're still still waiting for more. Yeah. And then we're just uh, they gave us, you know, they didn't really they gave us loose guidelines on how to run our e-learning class. So. But we're, we're very well set up technology, too. I think we're an Apple certified school. So the kids are one to one. Um, it's been pretty seamless. I mean, I have to say out of this is I'm not, I'm a better classroom teacher than I am an e-learning teacher. It's so important to share in a time like this, especially to just share information with each other. I think that's really important. So our topic today is to discuss, and I'm excited about this, to discuss how modeling instruction is integrated in a, in a middle school setting. And I know a lot of high school teachers who say, I wish my students had been exposed to this kind of instruction before they got to high school, because there's this transitional period that where they have to tool up the kids to understand why they're teaching the way they're teaching, you know, how to respond and how to engage with it. And so that's why I invited you guys to this talk. Thank you. And I'm really, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you guys have to say. Christy? You've been using modeling for a few years now. Yes. Um, you've been teaching for 17 years, but how long have you been using modeling in the classroom? Since, I think, 2011. Mm-hmm. So you're in a classroom that doesn't just teach chemistry or just teach physics. You have more of a general science class for middle schoolers. Is that correct? correct? Uh -huh. Yes. So tell me how modeling instruction has impacted your teaching in the classroom. So I would say that modeling instruction completely transformed the way I teach in the classroom. I had beaten teaching for about 10 years when I applied for the master's in natural science program at ASU, which is where I learned modeling. I had originally applied for that because I was looking for, I had been teaching for a little while. We had gotten new standards that were at the time, new standards. Um, they were starting the, what we are aim science test. I knew that I needed to kind of step it up. I needed more science instruction, particularly in the physical science area. And so I went through this program and it was like, oh my gosh, this is what I should be doing, you know, because we tend to teach the way we were taught in school. And so I went to school and it was always say, show, do, front load all the material, I, as the teacher, was probably doing most of the work, and the students were just kind of regurgitating stuff and not really actually engaging in the science process. Going through that just kind of helped me flip that script in my classroom. And so I've been using it ever since. I mean, I noticed just when I was a baby modeler and just learning how to do it, I mean, I noticed 
an immediate impact on my students. I noticed their engagement. I saw them just on like district benchmarks and even our, our state test. I saw huge gains right away. That was validation to me that this was the way to go. This was what I needed to be doing. Mm, that's really awesome. <laughs> I want to know, uh, George, from you, like you've been impacted by modeling too. You've been doing it now for, did you start out when you started teaching or how long were you teaching? Uh, right. I was teaching, um, same things, Chrissy. I, I got into the Master's in Natural Science at Arizona State. Oh. Uh, and I was teaching, I've been teaching traditional eighth grade for about three and a half years till I got exposed to modeling instruction. Oh, I see. I'm in my 12th year of teaching now? Yeah, 12 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, same question. How did modeling instruction change your approach in the classroom? Well, I, I first thought good teaching was, you know, maintaining the status quo, like how we were instructed, how science class would work. And I wanted to better myself as a science educator. So they were offering Arizona State STEM education as a master's degree. And so I took that one under the MS program and first whiteboard discussion with uh, Professor Milton in the, at the ASU campus. And we're doing, uh, it was a density lab and pulling out the whiteboards and it totally my mind was blown at first the delivery of it and there's so much behind it besides these oversized whiteboards that the kids are making and doing this post lab discussion so it's been a long process but definitely enjoy i definitely you know it's just it's a totally different way in my classroom so much different where if i ever have teachers come in and observe a class or anything like they notice how substantially different it's more active the kids are doing the leading there's a lot more of them, and I'm more of a guide on the side of facilitating. And, um, yeah, so. Christy, tell me a little bit, like, give me a snapshot of a day in your class on how you integrate the pedagogy of the science class and modeling instruction methodologies. How do you do that? Give us a little bit of an insight there. Typically in my class, we were actually like, so my eighth graders had just started our biology unit. So we focus on like some of the genetic stuff, inherited traits, Punnett Square, that kind of stuff. And so we started with a paradigm lab. I use a lot of the AMTA resources. And so we do like a Thirsty Bird, which is our paradigm lab. And so we play this game and they're exchanging alleles and they're competing for resources and they're looking at a mutation in a gene and all of these things that happen. And so that's how we start. I don't give them any background. Like we didn't front load a bunch of vocabulary. We didn't front load a whole bunch about the passing of traits. They, they kind of engage in this whole activity. And then we use that activity to then launch into the deeper, like they just start to discuss, they've already created about this idea about dominant and recessive without me ever having to have given them a formal definition. They start learning that that somebody could be a carrier of a trait without actually expressing that trait. So we start to do that. We whiteboard and then we kind of go into deeper meaning of that through different lessons. So that's kind of the structure of our class mm -hmm. um, is using some of those paradigm labs. Hmm. How about you, George? When you are bringing it to the classroom, what does it look like? Because I, I talk to high school and college instructors a lot. This is the first time I've had the chance to speak with middle school instructors and how it integrates because it seems like a very different kind of setting. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's an NGSS term, but I think they call it like um, concept or uh, activity before concept ABC, mm-hmm. where, you know, we introduce them to this experience, um, have them engage their, in their, with their peers in discourse, and we're building a consensus model. Um, the curriculum set up like a storyline where one activity is building off of another. And through there, then we're revising like our model. We start with this model, we start simple and through activities and discourse and revising and changing our models, the curriculum set up like a story where we're constantly honing and changing the model as, as we go through the sequence. Mm. So, and it's more me asking the questions then and getting us towards the consensus where we need to be. So developing a storyline which is important to most modeling instructors that I've spoken with, seems like very much a part of the approach you guys are taking in your curriculum development. Yeah, I use this word flow. Like when it, you got to know where the story's going. Like, you know, where, how does one activity lead to the next? And when are you going to assess it? How are you going to assess it? So, What does the storyline look like in a middle school? I got a new curriculum the last two years. I have two-thirds of my year is earth science and a third of it's life science. Prior to that, I was doing physical science pretty much the whole year. Starting off with some sort of question or problem, like for instance, one of the units that we piloted this year, there's this channel in Mars and we're trying to figure out what formed it. So we're doing all sorts of tests and referencing things that happen on Earth and through labs and discussions and investigations, they're con- they're putting together a cohesive argument for what formed it and why and what's their evidence. So, so a strong argument, I'm trying to shifting more to a claim evidence reason, usually for more of those open-ended questions. Another unit I have to say is like we started a weather unit and I showed a YouTube video of a factory right outside of St. Louis, and it shows the wind um, from the chimney stacks blowing one way, and then drastically it starts blowing the other way. And we're thinking of what's going on, why is this happening, what's happening. So teaching the content, but sequencing the content appropriately. So we're building these models so at the end they can articulate their thoughts and really get in depth, like what caused that change. So some sort of question or problem. I know it's usually with the middle school modeling units, we start with a paradigm lab, and then we build from there. So if it's if most of my units trying to tie in with NGSS, trying to um, start start off with the phenomenon. So, so Christy, I hear implied in there that there's a lot of a Socratic dialogue kind of approach. You know, my wife's always being accused of never answering a question. Is that kind of what, how it goes in your room too? Absolutely. They're always like, you're not going to tell us, are you? <laughs> No, <laughs> um, but I do. I always answer their questions with another. I don't know. You tell me. What do you think? Um, so, yeah, there is a lot of um, kind of Socratic questioning that goes on. Um, we do a lot of whiteboarding just in general, even with our practice. Like That's one of the things I think maybe slightly a little different at the middle school level, depending on some of the topics. I know I do some of the physics stuff. And I know some of our physics stuff that AMTA has produced is just kind of taken from some of the high school and maybe modified at a little bit lower level for our seventh and eighth grade. But even then, some of their math background may not be there quite yet. And so sometimes I find that my kids need a little extra practice with some of the graphing skill part of it. Even that, though, we turn into whiteboard activities. You know, we have our paradigm lab, we're working on our content, but I can see that there's a skill that they need to practice. And so I might give them some practice with just some graphing pieces. And then it's like, okay, this 
group, you graph number one, you graph number two. And then once again, they're dialoguing with each other about, well, why did you draw that that way? Or what about this? So that they're having those thought processes out loud and having that time to communicate with each other. You mentioned that AMTA is providing some resources for middle school teachers. I know, George, that you're involved with some curriculum design and development. Can you tell me about what it's like creating units? Also, are you contributing to the AMTA resources? I should be submitting the things I've changed and tweaked. Um, I think we need to get a better, get a, get a committee. It's always, it's trying to get people together. I feel like we got a lot of people with a lot of good ideas. Mm. And it's, it's just trying to get the timing, the platform, the venue to get middle school teachers across the country. Running a lot of different middle school modeling workshops. I've met a lot of teachers and a lot of really good ideas. I've definitely taken the middle school modeling curricula and tweaked it for what works best for my students and brought in a lot of new activities. The curriculum was really good five years ago, six years ago, but like anything, it needs updating. So that's an ambitious project. So I was thinking, I'm like, it's going to be such a daunting task. Where I teach at my school district, I have to use a certain curriculum that we're currently piloting. And as long as it's NGSS aligns, modeling instruction is just the driving piece that really gets it going, gets the students doing thinking and learning and leading, which I think it's a struggle trying to explain that to administrators, not my administrators in my building, but district administrators where they, the people are curriculum instruction, they think of like NGSS, the transition of just dropping off a curriculum. And it's so much more. Yes, we need a good curriculum that's NGSS aligned, but the delivery is the whole other thing is professional development, getting teachers together. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. I really like, George, how you brought that up, that once you know the modeling pedagogy and how to do those meetings, you can take it and apply it to pretty much anything that your district is asking you to do or anything that you're being required to do. And I'm pretty sure because we, I mean, we both started modeling around the same time. Like when we first started modeling, there were no resources for middle school. We had to make up everything on our own. We had to take whatever we already had in our classrooms and just adjust it to fit a modeling method. Yeah, and it was a struggle. It was, it was definitely a struggle for us. Taking traditional labs or taking high school modeling labs and bringing it down to the middle school, it was definitely challenging. How do you guys feel about the alignment in the middle schools with the, the science standards? The curriculum itself that we have? Yeah, implementation, how modeling instructors are bringing the science standards into the classroom. Is it meeting and aligning well? I think if you're doing modeling, just from my own standpoint, NGSS is three-dimensional learning. Like science and engineering practices, it's almost like, well, which science and engineering practice are you doing with this lesson? And you just kind of like smile and you're like, all of them. Yeah, I think in a modeling cycle, you're using all of them simultaneously. Cross-cutting concepts, there's always something in there. There's We're always at the lab. We're looking for patterns, looking for relationships, energy, something that always keeps coming up. And then the DCIs is just the content. So I think if you're doing modeling instruction, I think it really brings all three cohesively and makes it, you know, very coherent storyline. Very good. Christy, your perspective? Well, I just say, I always say modeling is a sound method of instruction. And so, once again, if you know how to present those labs, if you know how to get students using discourse to talk about them, you still need to be making sure you're choosing quality labs. But for the most part, the things that we have, we can adapt modeling 
to any of those things. It's really about knowing how to structure them. Mm-hmm. So working with administrators when you're a modeling instructor is something I hear a lot about because most administrators don't really know about it. They haven't been exposed to it on a broader level and especially with their peers and stuff. How's that going for you guys? I think with all the new teacher evaluations though, and going to the student led, you know, the teacher not lecturing up at the front, modeling just, it's good teaching and lends itself well to any of those, you know, we name off all the evaluation systems that teachers are using, but Modeling is just an ex- I think is definitely a strategy to be what they're looking for, what they deem as exemplary teaching. Yeah, I think there's been so many shifts in education, and I think we're all going to new standards. Like our Arizona just adopted new standards just at the end of last year. And so I think there's been so many shifts that I think our administrators are more accepting of it. Um, because there's pushes to go this direction in ELA and in language arts or in math. And because they're seeing that push in, uh, in those core areas that drive everything, that they're being more accepting of it. I noticed even in social studies now, this year, our district administration has really been pushing our social studies to be a little more inquiry-based. Um, and they have some things they're doing. So I definitely have seen a shift. I know when I first the very first time I had somebody come in and observe me doing modeling, I could tell that they were uncomfortable and it was kind of like, uh, what are you doing? You know, this seems you're having them move all the tables and sit in a circle and, you know, and that whole idea of participation of, well, if everybody's not talking or that doesn't necessarily mean they're not contributing or they're not processing or they're, you know, and, and so, I could see my administrators were really comfortable. Now, though, it's so much embedded in what I do in my classroom that they just, I think they're pretty used to it now, and, and it seems they're more accepting of it. I'm glad to hear you guys saying what you're saying. Now, you have a, a unique perspective as middle school teachers and knowing other middle school teachers. What have you observed or heard that are some of the struggles that other middle school teachers are having in adopting the modeling instruction methodologies? Classroom management. Ah. Classroom management comes up a lot. Getting the kids, how do you get kids to participate in the discussions? How do you know if they if they get it? How do you structure your class where, you know, the kids know the routines and procedures? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. But there's so many resources now out there that, that really help the discussions, um, that help that get the kids talking. And I don't, and Christy, I don't know how, how you feel about it, but like the kids have changed so much, I feel like, in especially the last seven years of when I started, that the kids buy into this so much easier than seven years ago. Uh, yeah. The kids are just naturally participating more in discussions. And I think it's, you know, kudos to the elementary teachers or maybe it's the language arts department. I don't know, but it's they it's so much easier. Or social media. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It used to be that, that when I first started those board meetings and you sat there and you let it be uncomfortable for a little bit, like we're going to kind of sit here until somebody says something. And now we don't necessarily have as much of that discomfort about actually participating in that kind of learning. Um, We still have to learn how to appropriately have discourse and how to kind of ask extending questions or how to really like look at somebody's board and analyze it and, and that kind of thing. But the actual uncomfort of just sitting in a circle and having to actually share my ideas doesn't seem as 
big of an obstacle as it used to be. That's great. So this is a little random thing for you, George. I read that you're pretty deeply invested in looking how to integrate phenomena-based learning into a modeling instruction environment. It's been a challenge, especially that's one of my major goals right now. My major transitions in teaching is trying to have a phenomenon at the beginning and kind of doing it, not necessarily doing away with the paradigm labs, but trying to have that as a start, as an elicitation to get kids' ideas, preconceptions going into the unit, and just having them being able to ask good questions that really drive the unit. I guess in a sense, like the storyline built, but having that good phenomenon at the beginning that the kids have to figure out and, and, you know, the storyline is addressing it and explaining it. But it's so hard to find good phenomenon that aligns with the DCIs that you're trying to knock out. So I don't know. It's tough. I've been looking at other resources. There's some good stuff out there, but it's a lot of work. and It's a lot of thinking. I feel like I need to go to a workshop on it. Or you should develop a workshop on it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, they, they got some good stuff down there. I, I teach I teach at a school pretty close to Northwestern University, and they're running a class this summer, and I, I'm really hoping that I can take it. It's a one-weeker, yeah. but it's a very expensive class, but I, I think it'll help me out a lot. Do you find that when you lead with the phenomenon-based teaching that it hooks the kids a little deeper, quicker? Oh, I, to- I totally saw that this year when I first started. Last year, I wasn't doing phenomena. I was doing the modeling cycle, which was good. You know, the kids really like the modeling style approach. Um, I'd probably say 99%. Mm. Sorry for the 1%. But uh, <laughs> the the um, the phenomena, the kids really were engaged. They really were trying to figure it out and trying to it strengthen their arguments through these different activities. So it's always a reminder, like, it's like the purpose, like, what are we doing? It's why are we doing this lab? And it's like, we're trying to figure this question or problem out. Well, I'm really glad to hear, George, that you're working on that because that's the ne- my next step, too, because we're all going to those, all of our new standards. Like in Arizona, we did not adopt NGSS. It's based off of the K-12 framework. And so... It's, we're, we're heading that way, too. All, everything that we've been doing, I've been doing uh, some unit reviews with the Department of Ed and our Arizona Science Teachers Association, and everything has to have that anchor phenomena and investigative phenomena and, and trying to fit that in and use that instead of those or in addition to those paradigm labs. So... I will be very interested to see what yeah, you come up with. I will, I will share with you what I have, and curious what your guys is when they when they shuffle the the content. What what what's at each grade level? Yeah, it sounds like you guys are on to kind of a a little bit of a leading edge idea that needs development. I'm going to just tell our listeners that you know if this is an area that sparks you, you need to get connected. I don't know what kind of social media, Twitter or Instagram or whatever you guys are involved with, but there probably ought to be the development of some really tight groups that can be expanded and resourced. AMTA, AMTA would be a good place to share resources and ideas. Yeah. So what is the best modeling tip that you guys could offer to others? From your experience, what do you think is the thing that people most need to know about modeling instruction, especially in the middle school? Build trust and relationships with your students. The kids really have to buy into it in order for it to work. At least that's what I've seen on my end. Build that community with the kids where kids are willing, willing to take risks. And like when you're not answering a kid's question, just tell them, like I let them know, I'm like, hey, that's a good question. Let's figure it out. There's another group doing that same question. We're going to figure that out in this upcoming discussion. Just know that you won't set them up for failure. The students need to know that they won't be setting it up for failure. 
and just having routines and procedures in the class. I think kids knowing how to prep their whiteboards, where to put their whiteboards, where to circle up, all that's essential. For me, I kind of think that as people are starting out, we just kind of need to remember that it's not going to be perfect at first. And so as you're trying to implement modeling instruction, it's okay if you, we're all going to have that board meeting that doesn't go well, or you're going to be like, I have to go back and try that again with my kids, that, that that's normal, that's natural. I think one of the biggest tips that was ever given to me um, when I was in my MNS program, as we said earlier, when we first started modeling, there was no middle school resources. It hadn't been done in middle school. And I just remember my professor saying, you know, do the lab first. Because we were so used to the notes, the vocabulary, all the front loading. And then you did a lab to just demonstrate what you'd... And, and I just remember my professor saying, do the lab first. Let them investigate. Let them see what they come up with. Just do that first. And that was kind of my big aha moment. And that's kind of one of the things I always share in my modeling workshops is like, if you just want to dabble, you just want to start just something as simple as just flip it and do your lab first, then add in your vocabulary, then add in your, you know, if you're not even ready completely yet to do a whole board meeting and circle up, like just try flipping it and do your lab first. So that was always kind of something that stuck with me and that I tend to share. That's really good. That's good stuff. So what have I not asked you guys that needs to be shared? You guys are the experts. I'm just asking some basic questions, and I know there's some deeper stuff that you guys um, want to share. I would say one of the things, and George, you can chime in here, um, being a workshop leader, getting more middle school modelers, I think, is kind of a challenge. And I don't know in your state, George, if you see the same thing, but like in Arizona, I still feel like there's very few of us, even though we had this program at ASU. I know my original cohort, we were the first master's group that went through for middle school. There were nine of us and most of us are still modeling in some capacity, but a lot of us have left the classroom and taken jobs at community colleges or they're working for STEM Teachers Phoenix, you know, and trying to get more teachers trained. But my district has six elementary schools. We're K-8 and um, I am the only modeler in my district. Mm. I know some of the neighboring districts have done modeling workshops but even then, we have a retention problem. I did a three-year program with one of the neighboring districts, and we trained this group of teachers, and they were supposed to come back the next year. And teachers came back the next year, but it wasn't the same group because they the, the turnover. The teachers don't stick around. Oh. Um, I feel like getting more modeling teachers um, in the middle school would be beneficial, and it's a challenge. Um, we have a challenge with the workshops, you know, a traditional modeling workshop is three weeks. That seems to be a challenge for some of our middle school teachers. I think we run into the integrated part for us because, you know, if I'm going to go to mechanics, if I know that mechanics is what I want and that, you know, that's all laid out at the high school or if I want Chem 1 or Chem 2, they have these really nice laid out programs. And at the middle school, we run into some issues with you know, well, we're going to run a workshop 
sixth, seventh, and eighth grade can come. But then if we do too much chemistry and they want more biology, or if we do some biology and they were looking for geology, and, and, you know, because we're so integrated and we can only do so many topics, um, it becomes a challenge. And then we try to say, okay, well, if we'll just run middle school physics, but then we may not get the enrollment for that. You know, that's kind of our challenge is getting more teachers to be modelers and how to run those workshops to meet the needs of the middle school teachers. Have you done a workshop with your district? I have not. Um, we've tried. So we went through a whole big thing um, recently, and we basically have all brand new, brand new superintendent, brand new assistant superintendent. So there were some things that went on a couple years that now my new district administration, I think they're open. But now with the new standards that just came into place, we would have to make sure that we were really going back to what we were talking about early, making sure we have that phenomena-based instruction and that kind of thing as well. So I definitely think that they are open in the future, but it's just not something I've been able to get them to do as of yet. Uh, just to go off of what Christy was saying, also it's like find someone that does use modeling instruction in your building or in your district. But if not, like where I'm at, I'm also the only teacher that uses modeling instruction in my classroom. Find someone that shares the same vision, like the same vision, philosophy, values that you do, because there's not a lot of us out there. And it's like believing that the kids can do this. The kids can be leading student-led classroom. Um, there's not a lot out here. And I can tell you, like Social Studies Department, they're very reluctant right now to inquire this whole new pitch with inquiry to where I'm at. So... I just stay quiet, just try to find the people that I can bounce ideas off of and, you know, morale too. So um. I have found that teachers that really care about their effectiveness in the classroom are always looking for that. And I've heard so many stories about people who discover the modeling approach and it's like, thank you. It's that's is what I've been looking for. That's a shameless plug for AMTA. So, <laughs> yeah, I just think like um, just keep yourself open minded to, to new ideas and new resources. Like I still use modeling, but I'm always trying to pull in new research, curricula, anything. Just trying to keep always trying to enhance the curriculum. So I think that that helps keeps me motivated too, keeps things fresh. When you when you find that stuff, it's important for both of you to really share and get involved with the community of teachers who are engaged and share what you guys are learning because it's very powerful what you guys are doing. Yeah. What I find really interesting is um, in the area where I'm at, like I'm the only modeler at the middle school, but the high school that we feed into, there's no modeling at the high school, but then the nearest community college, their whole entire physics department at the nearest community college is all modeling. Mm. So now we're, we've just started, like we got a brand new science teacher. This is her first year teaching. And I started talking about modeling because the teachers in my district have been exposed to it because I use it when I run PDs. Like they're definitely not a full-blown modeling workshop, but if I'm doing an activity or something, I always throw my whiteboarding in as my little like, hey, if you want to know more about this, you should, you know, and so I, I have done little things with it. And one of the, our brand new teachers, she's like, oh, I know this. This is how I learned at the community college. And I was like, yes. And so I think she's on board now to start, you know, but having that experience of having learned that way, she goes, oh, it was so much easier to understand my science classes mm. by learning through modeling instruction. That's great. 
and it's always interesting like when i see former students like when i taught at my previous school we would do eighth grade graduation at the end of the year and the high school kids will be in finals at that point so i'd see them in passing where i'd be you know chaperoning and getting these students in the gym for graduation practice and they the kids always come back and they always say how much they missed those experiences having those whiteboard discussions and how much more important was i think one student's taking a um ap physics and was saying it's like how much the whiteboarding helped him and it was really rewarding hearing that he got passed all every section of the ap physics test when i ran into a student at a soccer game and he was saying like he said the mechanics part was the easiest part because what we did in eighth grade science and i was <laughs> i was uh, i was really flattered by that yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, but it's such, it's such a shift that I think teachers think that they have to be the ones explaining and putting together these fancy PowerPoints and thinking that I have to say it in order for the kids to understand it. It's the opposite. It's the kids talking to each other. I think one of the things, maybe George, that you, you find this too, that I'm always learning new things as I, the more I do the modeling workshops, um, even though I might be leading the workshop, I'm learning things as I go and I'm learning new activities and new strategies and, oh yeah, we could use it this way. And so it's always kind of evolving. Yeah. I also think teachers might be reluctant to modeling instruction because they think they have to give up what they used to do. Their awesome labs, you know, their, you know, their projects and all that. And modeling is just a different way of delivering it where the students are leading. And so it's like, I wouldn't be the teacher I am today with running all these teacher workshops. It's not me standing up at the front. It's a two-way street. I'm getting resources too and getting ideas too. So I w- definitely would not be the teacher today if I had not been in and led multiple different workshops. You know, one of the things that... Um, is a challenge at middle school. And I know it certainly was a challenge for me is that idea of being integrated and having to, like, it's impossible to be an expert in every area of science. And so I know that that's a, a fear factor, I think, sometimes for teachers too. But that's why I always kind of try, if you come to some of these workshops, as we do this, you learn content as you learn some of these activities and pedagogy and and you know, that we can learn this because I know, you know, my background actually is I'm a, I am K-8 certified. I am not high school certified. Um, I kind of fell into science. Like I remember when I was in my undergrad, they said, you know, you need to pick an area of specialization. And I was considering social studies and they said, you know, well, you should really consider math or science. And at the time, the way they sold it was if you take math or science, it'll make you more marketable. But, you know, if you take science, you don't have to take any upper division classes. That was literally how they were marketing it. And now I actually did take upper division science, but I ended up taking intro to geology, intro to ecology, intro to chemistry. Like I always, you know, say, oh my goodness, thank goodness I did take all these different intro areas because I have to teach a little bit of everything. Um, So I'm always glad I have that background. I just kind of randomly picked science and then ended up teaching it. But as I got in there and as I was teaching it, realized I need to learn how to do this better. I, I have a little bit of content knowledge in a lot of different areas. And in my undergrad, I think I had maybe one methods of teaching science class. And I actually don't even think it was actually, I think it was methods of teaching science and social studies. I don't even even think it was like a full just science class. And so once I took that modeling workshop, I was like, man, this is the best 
thing ever because not only did I learn how to actually present a science lesson, it also built my content knowledge and made me a lot more confident because I think that's why we teachers want to front load so much is because they want to just take what they've taken from the book and just present it. And I think there's a fear that if kids are going to ask questions and I'm not going to know the answer, but that's okay. Cause you can say, well, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Well, let's figure that out. How can we find that answer? Yeah. Christy, similar, similar experience. I can, I can only echo what your experience too with that and educational background and modeling instruction just gave, really deepened content knowledge for me and also gave me an advanced pedagogical way to teach science. I think it's what we were taught to do in undergrad, but they didn't really show us how. They vaguely showed us the 5E model, but then it's like, okay, you're on your own. <laughs> so no one really, so then what does everyone do? Everyone goes back to traditional, you know? So and I think it's, you know, what we're trying to do with our kids is, you know, we're just trying to build these basic, simple models and send them off to the high school where they can, they can go more in depth with it. And, you know, another thing is, you know, it's not the biggest arguing point, but it's pretty important for me is get the kids to not hate science. <laughs> I think a lot of kids don't like science and you're, and you're just like, whoa, that, that's a problem right there. So kids like coming into my class every day. I got a good energy, good vibes in the classroom. And I, I think that's so important. My wife says students won't care until they know that you care. Couldn't agree anymore. Yeah. I think the major thing, the key point, though, is I've, I've talked about before, is, you know, it done well, the biggest advocates for it. It's not even, you know, you can talk about test scores, you can talk about, you know, evaluation models, but done well modeling, the biggest advocates of this are the students themselves. When I have parent-teacher conferences, you get a lot of praise and compliments for it. You know, it's best for the kids. And I think, you know, hearing of teacher shortages, especially in math and science, you know, it's teachers are getting burnt out in the profession. And I think modeling is a new perspective that'll help teachers out and make teachers enjoy the profession more. I've heard other modeling instructors say that when I discovered modeling, I knew I didn't want to quit my career. Oh, I was getting, I was getting pretty before I really started. Well, I was having a good year when I was teaching traditional, but like when I was transitioning the first couple of years of transition to modeling, it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough learning because you, you got to relearn how to teach almost, I feel like, and how you engage. There's so many different things, content, engagement, how you design your curriculum. And it was tough, but, you know, I could say overall now I'm a lot more happier, more relaxed, and I have a lot more energy in the classroom now. Well, I just want to say to both of you, Christy and George, thank you so much for taking the time to share your insights. And you've been very transparent with us. And I hope it's been, I know it's been very encouraging to those who are listening. And hopefully we'll stimulate some more of what you were talking about, Christy, about getting some more middle school modelers going. It's so important, you know, it's the feeder to the next level at high school and even leads on to colleges and universities. And so what you guys do with these young people is critical to their development. I just want to say thank you for being those kind of teachers for our young people. It's really important. Thank you for spending time with me today. Thanks for having me, Mark. And Chrissy, it's good seeing you again. Yeah, thanks. See you guys. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. 
Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.